Welcome to the From Little Things podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kenizaro, and together on this show, we'll speak with Aussie small business owners, founders, and entrepreneurs to share their stories and learn from those who have been on the journey from little things and beyond, so we can make it easier for you to succeed in business and life. From Little Things is brought to you by Papiera, the all-in-one solution that makes business easy for Aussie sole traders, company directors, and small business owners. You can learn more and get started for free at papera.com. Today we have Paul Higgins on the show. Paul, pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for making time to speak. Great to be here, Dan. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You're a mentor and coach to tech consultants and businesses in general. Um, but uh, I always like guests to take the opportunity to explain themselves, give me the opportunity to learn, and I guess an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you. So what's at a high level, what is it that you do? Yeah, so what I do is I work with people that sell technology for a living. So most of those you may be familiar with Salesforce or HubSpot or or other other main SaaS platforms. So they sell that for a living. And what I do is help them to improve their business. So I was one of those uh, and we sold our business in 2019. So now I just work with people. And, and typically what I'm doing is helping them to really – crystallize their ambitions. So what do they really want out of their business? Make sure that's aligned to what they want out of their life and then see what the gaps are. And if I can bring forward some of those gaps, then uh, we work together. Awesome. It feels like a pretty rewarding type of uh, thing to be doing. Um, but how did you get there? So um, one of the things we like to explore as part of our conversations is you know, whether the journey begin for you and to whatever extent you're comfortable Um did you know you were always going to become a business coach? Uh, did you know you were going to become a business owner? Like, where did it start for you? Well, I, I suppose my I had uh, my mother was a, a school teacher and a curriculum advisor, so she always wanted me to be a teacher. And then my father was in sales, and he worked for one of the largest companies in the world, Coca Cola, at, at the time. So I sort of had the best of both worlds, I suppose. And uh, I'm very much a blend of my parents, but probably a little more like mum. So. For most of my corporate career, I worked at Coca-Cola. Um, it was a chance encounter that I did that because I was always told I could never work where Dad did. And uh, anyway, 18 years I worked there, so I did most of what Dad had taught me from the sales uh, perspective. And then I suppose now I've sort of flipped back to the mum side, which is sort of, you know, uh, teaching in, in in using all my experience that I've gone through corporate and my own businesses. So in a way, uh, you know, my career, when when I grew up and I left school in '88, it was you know you go and work for a, a large corporate, and then you know being an entrepreneur was something that you know other people did, but you didn't really do. But uh, yep. now I'm really glad that I've gone full circle. Do you think you would have become an entrepreneur back then if the path, potentially the culture was different at the time? I think so. Yes, yes. I think I wouldn't have stayed as long as I did. I think yep. you know, Coca Cola is a brilliant company. I learned so much, and you got to. A, a job change every two years, but I was often called the entrepreneur within the Coca-Cola system. So if there's something too hard, difficult, new, they'd always throw me at that opportunity. So I think I had the sort of best of both worlds in a way, but uh, yes, I think uh, now I'm telling my children, I've got to, um, you know, that, uh, yeah, you know, working uh, with a corporate isn't the only option in life. And what do you think some of those attributes were that you now upon reflection, um, displayed or possessed that make you feel that perhaps entrepreneurship early on would have been another option for you? Yeah, I, I love change. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just, 
changing environment. I'm, I'm incredibly curious by nature. I love learning. I love asking questions, and I just love the pace of change. And the co company brought gave that to me, so that was that was fantastic. And also with the co company, you got to work with so many other small business owners. Because yes, we had you know in Australia we had the you know I managed Coles for three and a half years or Coles Meyer. Um, so we had big customers, but we also had small customers and we had small customers or big customers that were once small customers. So it was like an MBA that you're always learning about business, working with them. So, you know, I took the analogy of, you know, get in their shoes and how do they, you know, what do they want to achieve? How do they want to achieve it? And then, you know, work with what products and, and offers you've got to help them to get to that. So I think that curiosity, that willingness to adapt to change and always be, you know, on the cutting edge of technology, I think lended itself to be an entrepreneur within corporate, and I suppose, ultimately running my own business. And um, so 18 years is a, uh, is a really good period of time to spend at a company. And, and I appreciate um, context in terms of time and culture at the time was that people spent a long period of time at companies. And yeah, I, don't know yeah. what, I know what you mean that uh, when you find a company that can teach you so much and, provide you so much change that entrepreneurial journey is actually quite fulfilling um but what was that catalyst to make the shift then into entrepreneurship uh at that point in your career yeah well i think the biggest driving uh, force was my health yep. so i've got an inherited uh, condition called polycystic kidney disease uh in the simple you can get it in three places the brain the kidneys and the liver i've got them in two i haven't got them in the brain and they just uh reduce your, your function up so for me uh, my mum's father died at 41, um, and then we sort of found out about it. We nearly lost mum in her early 40s, and uh, I was diagnosed at 18. So I, I sort of had a normal life career, but as time went on and I travelled more and and got more senior roles, my health started to decline a bit, and I got to the point where I thought, I want to be in complete control of my health. So, and I did end up on dialysis, but when I'm on dialysis, I want to make sure that my company or whoever I work for isn't impacted by that. So I decided to leave and set up a business that I could run from anywhere in the world. And uh, that's what I did. Well, it sounds um, an incredibly challenging decision to make given the circumstances, but at the same time, congratulations on making that step. And and I'm, I'm really curious to know because a lot of people um, when they start a business also talk about the stress it puts on them and from a health perspective can sometimes be worse for them. How did you navigate that? Um, if you can just help us understand a little bit about, so if there's a clear need for the change. Um, yeah, sure, sure. What, so what was that step? Like, how did you know that you could set up a business that would allow you to have more balance and still provide that income? Or was it more of a journey of discovery? It was more the uh, journey of discovery. I think what I did do is I went on some boards of small businesses whilst I was still at Coke. And they knew about it. They were fine with that. But I, and, and as I said, I had a lot of customers that were small businesses. So yep. I tried to understand as much as I could before. I, I left. And what I did was I left in 2011 and my condition was okay at that stage, but I knew where the road was leading. And I suppose if you look at that mum-dad scenario, so dad was like, just you know take the leap. You know, you will always land on your feet. And mum was like, well, you've got to plan what this could look like knowing, you know, how I've ended up with the conditions. So putting those two things combined, I thought, well, I've probably got five years and, you know, so I've got five years to get it right by the time I'm probably on dialysis. And actually I lasted until 2018. So I lasted even a bit, 
are longer than that. But that was the plan. The plan was like, take five years, take the leap. And the same thing, just the, the, the context is that our business was predominantly selling sugar. So I sort of got to the point where, you know, 30% of all um, kidney patients or patients on dialysis uh, actually got diabetes caused by sugar. And, you know, I was sort of like working for the devil a bit. So, and in society, you know, when I was young, dad would give me Coke to take to a party and I was the life of the party. You know, yep. by 2011, uh, 2011, no one wanted you to bring Coke to a kid's party, right? So yep. it was sort of like I was working for the devil. And also I could see that the impact of sugar was having on that business and the Coke company, because they made so much money out of selling sugar around the world. They weren't really, we were the canary in the coal mine being Australia, very small market. I could see the trends and I'm thinking it's going to get harder to work here rather than easier. Yep. So I think that was a bit of a catalyst as well. I'm thinking, you know what? I think the new exciting thing plays better to my personality. That's going to be less stressful than an environment where we're just going to, you know, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. Yep. No, that's, um, and, and, you know, what's quite interesting about that is you, you found a number of different reasons to make that change, but what comes through in that is you're able to leverage a lot of your experience as well. Um, so what I find quite fascinating about the different journeys that we're learning about through these discussions is um, they're kind of very different approaches. Some people sort of go straight from school into entrepreneurship and they've got a, a specific idea or, or a specific feeling that guides them there. Um, and then others uh, later on in their career make the switch or mid-career make the switch. And um, it's just interesting to hear the different perspectives. Um, but And when you made that switch, what kind of business did you set up? So I started as an executive coach for other people in corporate. And I'll just say, uh, Dan, because you make a really good point there, I think there is no perfect time. Like it took me 10 years to really leave. Like yep. I always thought I've got to have the right idea to leave. And it's got to be bulletproof. And at the end of the day, because of circumstances that we just spoke about, I, I decided just to, there's no, there is no perfect time, but I will say there's two things to really consider. One is that always uh, tell your partner in, in life that it's, you're going to earn half the amount of money that you think, and it's going to take twice as long because I did the opposite and that's painful. <laughs> I, <laughs> so <laughs> And I, I um, as a as a business owner myself, <laughs> I fully appreciate what you what you're referring to there. But um, it always takes longer, doesn't it? And- it does. It does. And uh, and and like the the question back to what I do, um, I didn't really know, but I thought I loved helping people. I was always a mentor to to people in the business, so I thought I'd I'd go and do that. So I became an executive coach. But I quickly realised that some of the challenges that they were facing within corporate were the same as mine, and an executive coach, I did the the official training, the Institute of Executive Coaching and Leadership was great. But their view is that the the coachee has always got the answers. You've just got to get them out of it, get the help them get the answer out. And if you think about it and you can visualize listening, if you've got a, a, a full glass of water, you're just showing the glass in different ways, but the water is what they put in. That's that's their content. And I did it for about three months and I thought this is crazy. I've just got so much experience that I want to share that I want to switch. So that's when I switch from corporate executives to small business owners uh, as a mentor. And um, I suppose that's what I've been doing ever since. And um, it's, that's also another interesting point around just the difference between the audience that you're providing that mentorship to. And I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into some of the challenges you see in a moment that small business owners face uh, sure. compared to when you're dealing with corporates. 
Um, but uh, one of the things I noticed when I was learning a little bit about your profile before this and doing some prep is that you've you've successfully exited a business as well. Uh, was that that same business? No. So, uh, so in short, when I was a small business coach, I, I realised, and that wasn't you know, I was only twelve months out of corporate. Is there's two key things that were missing. One is that they didn't have the people that corporate did, and the second is that they didn't have the technology to make it easy to tap into people. So long story short, I put the two together. So I set up an outsourcing company based out of the Philippines to provide you know, really good talent into Australia's small business owners at about the third of what it had cost um, here onshore. And the other part was the technology play, which was to access talent back in those days. If you had the right technology, it made it easier to do that. Yeah. And the... Uh, outsourcing company I had to sell because I couldn't travel because of my health. So that became a, um, that was around 2016. And then in 2019, I sold the technology company. And when you set up that business, did you ever think, did you set it up to eventually sell it? Look, I think that was always in mind. Yep. Uh, definitely always in mind. And we actually took about 12 months to find the right person to purchase it, even though they didn't know at the time. So uh, we strategic. I think you know some of the strategic work when I used to you know buy and sell billion dollar companies at the co company that yep. really helped me to position and use that experience to get the right exit for us. But most importantly, the right exit for the person that bought us and the the person that bought us, my business partner went with the sale, and um, uh, you know we basically got half the money up front and then half over two years. Yep. And I thought it was a pretty good chance I'd get that money if my business partner was running it and because he needed his money back as well. And uh, it's turned out really well. So I keep in contact. I actually still do some mentoring for Mike's business partner and uh, their business has been very successful. So, uh, you know, you talk about three-way wins. It was it was very much a three-way win. That's awesome. And um, I think what I'm really keen to understand a little bit as well, or any advice you have for listeners is that a lot of small businesses or small people that get into business and decide to build something for themselves um, when they're either sole operators or they have a small team, a lot of them don't think of the ability to sell the business. Um, do you do much work with business owners around thinking about when the right time is to sell and uh, how they can set themselves up for that? Or are there any insights you can share around that? Yeah, definitely. I think you should always keep that, you know, you're, those aspirations and what you want to do should always direct your your key actions, right? So always, as Franklin Covey, Stephen Covey used to say, start with the end in mind. So I think that's super important. Yep. And what I always say to people is you run the business uh, for sale, but you like you set it up in the, the fact that it can be sold and that's often getting the business owner out of it doing everything. So I think that, you know, that's the, the biggest risk of selling a business is you are doing everything. So I think you set it up that way. Even if you never sell it though, it's a better way to run a business. So I think yep. those work hand in hand. And then when it is time to sell the business, I think one of the biggest um, or the easy traps to fall into is thinking that the sale will go through. So I say to people, you run, continue to run the business and make decisions if you're never going to sell it. And if you do, that's a bonus. Yep. And were you having the end in mind from the start and you made the comment before, it always takes longer than planned. Um, did it go to plan for you in terms of the timelines? Oh, look, I've, there was definitely some years where we 
fought harder than we should have. Yep. Um, so I think in hindsight, we would have liked to have sold it earlier, but also I suppose we learn a lot from that experience and that's experience that I can give to others now by going through it. But as far as the 12 month timeline and really deciding that, okay, we need to sell this and to get the right person to buy us, I think that went to plan. Awesome. And, um, just reflecting back on the journey of those two businesses, at least, um, what were some of the key learnings that you feel shaped you as an individual that then led you on to the next piece, which was um, to keep focusing on mentoring? Yeah, look, I think, I suppose um, I'm practicing what I'm, I'm preaching, which was always have someone that's gone where you want to go. Yep. You know, all throughout my small business career, I've always had a coach or a mentor to sort of that, that's already gone where I want to go to help speed that up for me. So I think that was one of the the biggest things. But the second thing is actually listening to their advice as well. So often, you know, I can reflect back in times when I probably thought that I knew the answer and being a little more intuitive rather than fact-based by nature, I think I should have stepped back, got more facts and just paced some of my, my decisions uh, a little bit um better than what I did. So I think it's really important to have someone, but it's also more important to listen to what they're saying. It's really good advice. And I guess then switching a little bit then to uh, present day, um, mentoring is your full-time focus now? Yes, yes. So perhaps um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what are the types of businesses that you work with or business owners, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So um, as I said at the start, they're mainly selling technology. Yep, and it's technology f mainly focused on small businesses. So there's sort of um, three key components to their business. You know, one is that they consult, so they might go in and and advise a business on either what software to use or what processes to get ready or how to set up before the software comes on. Then they go and implement the software and then they provide some support afterwards. Very small percentage of people also uh, have products of their own. They might develop apps, et cetera. But they're, they're basically the businesses and their range in employees, you know, they might be a, a solo operator through to, you know, probably some of the larger businesses I've worked with are sort of like, you know, 20 to 50 people. Okay. And, um, you mentioned we, we were going to dive in before and you know, kind of digress a little bit around the difference between corporate clients of yours before and, and the small business owners now. Yes. Um, what are some of the challenges you find that are unique to to small businesses that you're working with? Yeah, I think the the biggest one is, you know, cash flow yep. and being able to, to fund growth. So, you know, in a corporate, yes, it was hard to get budgets, but once you got those budgets, you know, you, you know, you basically spent them. Whereas in corporate, like, sorry, in small business, like today I had a client where, you know, she wants to put on three more people, but uh, at the moment she doesn't have the revenue to do that, but she knows that she needs to put on the people to, once she has the revenue to meet the demand. So it's a bit of a chicken and an egg. So sometimes what I always say to people is, do you trust yourself? Like ultimately, if you trust yourself, well, then sometimes what you got to do is take a bit of a haircut, take a lower salary a short period of time to then get more money in the future. And yep. I think the businesses that are successful do that, whereas some that aren't are there, you know, they've got a lifestyle that probably is overinflated and um, they're not investing in future growth. And then they sort of hit a 
you know, a brick wall and, and then they hit a, a, you know, they can't grow anymore. So, so I think for you listening here is make sure that you just always look at what's the short term and the long term. So sometimes it's better to take, you know, less salary and less distribution in the short term to then build a business where it can effectively run, you know, with, with you there, but not hugely relying upon you. That's going to take a bit of a phasing and it's very rare that a business will get a whole lot of revenue that then they can say, okay, now I can go and deploy and and build on, build the people that I want. It, it doesn't normally happen that way. Yeah, that's really good advice. And do you find a lot of your clients want to grow their business um, or do you have a, a segment of them that are just happy operating as they are? Great point. I, I think um, I think there's a combination of both. So I had a, another client today that is very happy with where he's at, but he just wants to improve his margins and bring on a, a couple of team members, but he's happy where he is given the lifestyle he's got. And then I had another client that I spoke to that wants to create a $150 million business. So it, it really depends on the individual and there's no right or wrong. I always say to go back and look at what are your personal goals? What what do you as a, as a family or as a partnership agree to? And then just get the business to fund that. And everyone's got different aspirations, different goals. Have you found over the time you've been doing this now, have you found that people are going into business for the same reasons or has there been a shift culturally around why people get into business? I think these days there's a lot more people that have been um, pushed out of corporate than yeah. what there was when, you know, I, I took the leap and it's funny when I took the leap, everyone said, you've retired. I'm like, no, I work from home. They're like, there's no such thing as working from home. You got to be in the office. So it was very different then to what it is now. I think now there's, like if you look at Salesforce, which is, you know, one of the my customers' um, clients as an example, uh, you know, they regularly let go 10 to 15,000 employees. So I think yeah. there's a lot more <laughs> senior talent that are saying, you know what, I don't want to be let go multiple times. I think I'll go and run my own business. I think those opportunities are a lot more. And as I said earlier on, I think the younger people now are realizing that, you know, there's lots of ways to be innovative and and, and make money. It doesn't always um, mean they've got to be in corporate. But I will say as a as a caveat, if you do get the chance to work for a, a large corporate that can uh, help and give you good training, please take that advantage. Like Coca-Cola was brilliant. The things that I know and I talk to people now, even though I've been out of the system for, you know, 12 years now, they're, they're a they're amazed that like, I've never heard of that. And the only way that I heard of that was through the training and development I got from a large, large corporation. Yeah. We, we're certainly seeing that trend that you speak about as well. And, and I and agree with the benefits, by the way, like having, having a corporate career earlier on in my journey as well, and making that switch to entrepreneurship, we're seeing the trend of uh, forced entrepreneurship as, as, as is another way to maybe refer to it, where yes. a lot of people are, are either by way of, um, wage stagnation and and inflation and needing to generate more income or or through being displaced out of their job and saying well this will be the catalyst now for me to go try my own thing um yeah and and just quickly on that dan um whilst i was on dialysis i was fortunate enough that i could uh, think a lot of people who are on it for a longer time like my mum was on it for 12 years it becomes you know difficult to do anything on dialysis but I was on uh, Fresh and I actually wrote a book and I, it's called Build, Live, Give. And it's all about, you know, how do you leave corporate and set up your own business? So if awesome. you're either just left corporate or you're thinking of leaving corporate and you're listening to Dan and I, um, you can get that on Amazon, uh, Build, Live, Give. 
fantastic. But, and, and I guess just tapping into that then. So um, what are some of the things or, or some of the advice that you can share around maybe some of the challenges that people find themselves in as a result of they've, they've, either they've been forced to take on entrepreneurship or they they wanted to take a leap. They've taken that leap. They've started. Um, where do you find most businesses go wrong at the start? Yeah, great, great point. I think there's three key things. So one is uh, around uh, pricing. The second is around sales. And the third thing is around uh, you know, doing everything themselves. So if I tackle the first one first is on pricing is that we all undervalue ourselves as a general rule, right? So most people, when I first meet with them, I say, we're going to put your prices up. It could be 10, 20, 30%. And they push back a little and then we implement it. And then the week after that, I'll meet with them and they say, yeah, I didn't lose any client. Uh, business has gone great. I'm like, yes, because all of us undervalue. So even today, if you're listening, you know, when was the last time you put up your price and, you know, just test it. The worst thing someone can say is no, and that's your next new customer, right? But at Coca-Cola, the way that we make profit is that we put our prices up every, well, twice a year. Right. So I used to laugh the sales director, his biggest job for the year was, you know, how much of a price increase would we take? It was never about if we were going to take it. Yep. So we had a great brand and we were able to command that. But I think for most small business owners, they undervalue themselves and they and they think, you know, like I've I've I'm just into an industry and I can't charge the same as an expert. I'm like ultimately the person you're working with, if you can add more value than they can themselves, that's all they care about. Uh, they don't care about who's best in the industry. They just care about can you help solve a problem better than they can themselves. The answer to that is yes, you're doing a great job and therefore price um, appropriately. So I think price is definitely number one. It's a really interesting point because um, what, when you're just sharing that, I think it's a really, really valuable insight to share. Um but one of the things that come to mind and being through this experience myself, you know, it's a, how do you find the confidence to, to say that, because I think what we're really referring to is the, the self-confidence around, you know, I've got a service that adds value and people are going to be willing to pay. Contrasted with, I've started this business, it's incredibly hard. I'll just be grateful for my first customer. I can't wait to wait, make my first dollar and I don't want to risk now that I've made my first dollar or second or 10th or thousandth. I don't want to now risk losing that because I've worked so hard to get there. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's um, you put yourself in a business that you're a customer of. Yep. Right. So if you go into a customer, whether it's Bunnings or whatever it is, right, and someone charges you, and you get value for the service, you accept their pricing. That's fine. I think you know you've got to tread the same way. It's not a lifestyle; it's a business. Yep. Right. And if you clearly know the goals that you want to achieve, the quicker way to achieve those goals is by pricing because you don't have to market as hard. You don't have to get as many clients, just price the ones are. And 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 it's not an issue of um, what people think, think too much about is themselves. It's actually not your decision, right? It's the client's decision whether they want to accept your pricing or not. So don't put your beliefs upon them. Yep. And often as small business owners, if we get a large client, we think, oh, God, that's a hell of a lot of money. But relative to them, it's not. To their right? ability so to pay. That's right. Spot on. Yours. Yeah. Spot on. So so you take yourself out of your world and put yourself in their world. And as a rough rule of thumb, even the clients I work with now, I always do a 90-10. I say, look, 
of the value I'm going to create, you'll get 90% of it, I'll get 10. So it's not about price, it's about the value that I'm creating. Now, not all services are the same if you're a, but if you're in professional services, you know, look at the value that you're going to create and then 10% of that's fair and that'll always be more than your time and material cost. So I think that's the the way to look at and there isn't, it's like leaving, there's no right or wrong time, it's just test it tomorrow and see what happens. I really like that as a framework and mental model to apply. I've studied value-based pricing myself, but I've never thought about it in that way around if you can quantify that, that overall value that you're about to deliver and then say, well, 10% is reasonable. I think most people will say, yep, it is. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and actually I had a, a situation it's a good deal. <laughs> today. Yeah, I had a situation today where a client says, look, I don't know if I can afford you. And I said, well, let's look at the flip side. Can you not afford me, i.e., I'm here to help you with increase your revenue, right? I'm here to help you make more money. So, you know, by not having me here, that's going to impact that ability. So let's look at it. So we ran through their P&L and I looked at, you know, what my monthly cost is and then the initiatives we've got and we mapped it out. And I said, can you get there by yourself, that increment? And they said, no. I said, well, actually, you know, my, my mine is actually less than 10% of that. So, the answer is, can you afford not to have me? And they're like, oh, yeah, I never looked at it that way. So, you know, I think that's where getting someone in to help bring forward the revenue is really important. Now, we'll yeah. all get burnt. And unfortunately, some experts don't always play out the way that you'd hope. And that was my biggest learning of leaving Coke. I thought everyone was going to be a tier one supplier like I'm used to at Coke. And I got burnt several times. And what I've done now is actually created a whole list of providers that when someone comes to me and and there's an expertise that they need i'm like well here's three people we know and trust yeah i think you know for you always go to two or three people and get second opinions you know don't just go with the first person because some people are very good at selling and what they'll do is sell you in a great situation and then the delivery unfortunately doesn't meet that expectation yeah and, and how have you dealt with that where where you've been the buyer of a service like that and yeah. uh you know as a business owner, every dollar counts. You've spent the money. You didn't get the output you wanted. How do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I think it's it's um you've got you it depends on your personality, but I'm I'm an instinctive person. So I'll say instinctively that's right. But then what I'll do is take that recording and let my wife watch it and I'll say, What do you think? Because yep. she's more fact-based, rational than what than what I am. So what I always do is get a second opinion. It's like when you go to employ someone in corporate, normally you um, interview with two people and then you de debrief it. I think it's really important to get that second opinion, someone that knows you well rather than going in. And also if it's your own business, often your partner gets the upside and the downside of the choices you're making. So yep. I've learned the hard way to make sure that I involve her in all my decisions moving forward. So it's just not myself. That's a really good learning. And um, I think one of the challenges for businesses as well, as you say, you're usually you, you have a lot less resource than a, than a corporate, you um, your time poor, you're potentially financially poor until you figure it out. And, um, and there is a natural urgency to move quickly uh, and, and say, well, I've just got to solve this problem so I can move on. But a lot of the times and through my learnings as well, is that uh, sometimes you need to slow down to go quickly. Spot, and, spot. Um, and I think you've mentioned that already through through this discussion. But uh, so you said pricing was one of the uh, the big things that people go wrong, and, and you mentioned there were a couple of others too. Yeah, so the next one is sales. And I've tested myself, and I've also had lots of clients that have tested it, but I still think the owner is the best person to sell, and certainly up to a million dollars. And I always forget the name of the book, but I think it's Fire 
ready aim. Uh, it's in in that sort of sequence. I'll send it to you, Dan, so you can put it in the show notes. But it's a great book, and he talks about that. Up to the first million dollars, you should be selling, and I think in some cases it should be more than that. What I say is I think the owner should be selling, but also the owner shouldn't be doing all the sales admin. So what we provide a service where we actually have an, an, a sales admin person that might act as you or do a lot of the things that you would do on a repetitive basis. They're doing it on your behalf. It's exactly what you would say. But they're just sending it on your behalf. So I think it's that would be the second step. And then the third step maybe to hire someone else. And I know a lot of you might be thinking, well, Paul, I haven't got 18 years of sales experience at Coca-Cola, so I'm not as natural in sales. I get that. But that's where I think you get someone to help you improve your sales ability, but I still think you're the person to do it. And as far as how, depends on the business model that that you've got, but typically there's inbound, outbound, and partners. So what I mean by that inbound is how do you create content, whether it's you know on LinkedIn, whether it's like Dan's doing with his podcast, whatever approach to get people to like, know, and trust you before they meet you. So I'll have someone today that – got right to the end of the call and he goes, you don't know, but I've been following you for 12 months. I've been listening to all your podcasts. He said, already knew I was going to work with you, but I just wanted to hear you uh, go through it. But it's so much easier when you've got that. So that's the inbound approach. Uh, the outbound is where you're tapping people on the shoulder. And I think for most professional service businesses I can speak for, coaches, consultants, et cetera, I th- still think LinkedIn is is a great way of doing that. And then the the third one, which is often the missed one, is partners, which is the one-to-many sale. So who's already got lots of your customers that you can then go and uh, work with them on it? So I'll give you a quick example. So so for, for me, when uh, I ran the virtual assistant business, I often went to coaches or consultants themselves that had clients that I know needed a virtual assistant. So I set up an arrangement with them so that they were sending me leads every month because they had a need for their clients. They knew that I was a trusted provider. That was great. So that was a one-to-many. So I think they're the three key things that are really important around sales. And like I said, if you haven't had sales experience and it's not natural to you, don't be scared to go and get some help in that area because it will be the biggest lever other than price that you can pull. No, it's really, really valuable advice. And I think a, a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people think the difficult part about business, and particularly if you, if you nowadays it's quite popular to have a, a startup as well. And um, they think the hard part, and I speak to a lot of founders as well about this, the hard, they think the hard part is building the product. Um, the reality is, yes, it is hard. But uh, once you have the product built, you switch it on or you, you distribute it. But the hard part is actually getting it out there and getting people to know that it exists about to buy it. <laughs> Yeah. And the great thing today is like, you know, I think the co-company are ahead of their curve is to always, you know, find out what the customer wants and then work it through. But sales training in old was always a little cringy. It was whatever. I like it more to a journalist, right? It's like you're trying to find out the story. It's like, where do they want to go? Where are they now? And how can you best help them get there? So often like a coach or a consultant will say to me, I don't know how to sell. I say, but you do it every day. You know, you find out from a coaching, when you're coaching someone, those abilities apply the exact same way when you're selling. It's just someone that you haven't met yet. That's the only difference, right? So I think you've got more skills there than, and I think the way that the world is going now, most people are doing research. They're doing a lot more 
beforehand and really all you're doing is just asking good questions when they got on a call because they already know your background they already know about you etc if you're doing you know your linkedin and other things properly and a really good point you said you know the world has changed significantly in the last decade if not you know beyond um how's the way that you sell changed during that time or or is it the same i think um one of the biggest advantages now is you can sell anywhere in the world via video i think that's been one of the biggest changes like a lot of my clients are in uh, North America and, you know, I've never met them in person. So in the old days, you used to have to do everything in person. Now you can do it via video. So I think that's a huge step change now because that means you can actually, if you provide a service that doesn't physically, you don't have to be there. That's just open up your market, right? So uh, so I think that's uh, one of the biggest things. And the other one is, I think, is that that research, Right. If, you know, people, when was the last time you met someone that you didn't go look at their LinkedIn profile before you met them? Right. You know, like even if you're a tradie listening to this, people will go to your Facebook, they'll go to other assets and try to get an indication. Can I trust this person? Is this the right person for me? So I think that is also a a major thing that's changed um, from when we used to sell in the past. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And um, I think so. If I summarize that, it's a reach and, um, and availability of information uh, is is completely being transformed. Um, no, it's super super powerful, and, and the insights are awesome. By the way, uh, I think a lot of value for me, but our listeners as well. Um, and you mentioned there's a, there's a third. Yeah, so I think the third is we've sort of touched on it is uh, tap into that offshore offshore market to provide people to support you. Uh, I've got a. A saying, you know, everyone should have a computer, everyone should have a phone, and everyone should have a some form of assistant, a virtual assistant. I think there's, you know, as a rough rule of thumb, we did time and study tests at the Coca-Cola company. They're probably not too dissimilar to what HubSpot have done recently, but about 50% of most people's roles admin. So what I always say is just list everything you've done down for a week. I don't care if it's in a piece of paper, Excel sheet, whatever, and do the three Ds. So what can I delete? What can I delegate? What can I do? And most of what you can delegate is to someone that can act on your behalf. So, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've got team members both in South America and also in in the Philippines. And, you know, what I love about working with them is that it really changes their life. Like they're working to basically to feed their family, to sometimes We've had cases where people have bought houses for their parents, et cetera. So so they're very loyal. They're 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 great. And because of where they live, you know, at the cost of living, their, their salaries are very different. You know, it's about yes. a third of what you'll you'll get here. So um, you're still paying taxes here. You're still, you know, helping Australians in other ways. But I think tapping into that pool is so important. And it doesn't really matter where they are. It's more important that you take off tasks that you just shouldn't be doing. And uh, as my dad used to say, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Yeah, that's really good advice. And um, just to, to wrap up the point around that, and it, you know, those are awesome three takeaways. So thank you for sharing. Um, one of the things that come to mind is, are you seeing a pull or a push around people, one, acknowledging this global opportunity that they can now serve clients anywhere? Um, and are they becoming aware about the need or, or the opportunity to also outsource for lower costs some of the, some of the admin and operations that they could do here, but um, now there's the opportunity to do somewhere else cheaper and potentially better as well. Yeah, look, I, I think the short answer is yes. I, I think 
been in the Coke company, we had a saying of um, think global, act local. And I was very lucky that I was brought up in a, uh, a system where here in Australia, if we had a problem, we would just ask our partners around the world, who else has had the problem? How do you solve it? So I, I always work for a global business and that's, that's the way I was brought up. Whereas I think, you know, a lot of Australians, because we are so remote with, you know, from the rest of the world, often we think, well, you know, it, we can only find the solution here. Yes. I think what the world is now opening up to is that you can do commerce anywhere and you can also have staff remotely anywhere and i think that's a massive opportunity and in a way i wish i had my outsourcing business today because it'd be a, a lot easier to to um to sell but i remember back in you know when i sold it in 2016 it was you know people still couldn't get their head around the fact that what you know the the, the risk of my data or you know you know there's all these um that they were made common sense to bring up those objections but i think over time it's proven that it's much better to 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 tap into those world resources uh yeah. than not i i fully agree with you and i think um, a lot of the infrastructure available now uh to do business digitally and, and remotely takes care of the data security as well and uh, as you know through your dealings with um international businesses uh the maturity of those businesses have come a long way as well and the infrastructure they use so um no i think it's an awesome opportunity if if i wanted to learn a little bit more um about how I could access this, I assume I could reach out to you. What's the best way to try to, to reach you, Paul? Yeah, look, uh, two simple ways. One is my website, which is paulhigginsmentoring.com. That's got everything there. And then also if you are uh, LinkedIn, you, um, I'm uh, Paul Higgins on LinkedIn. And I think my profile is uh, Paul Higgins Mentoring. So if you look up Paul Higgins Mentoring on LinkedIn, you'll come across me. Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, just before we do let you go, and this has been an awesome discussion. So thanks so much for sharing your insights. Clearly a lot of experience and knowledge, uh, both from a, no doubt Coca-Cola would have been an awesome place to to have a, a career, uh, but then you've done so much after that. Um, on a personal level, so you shared three learnings around what businesses that could do better, but on a personal level, kind of what are three takeaways that you'd be happy to leave us with? around how you've endured this journey from, from little things uh, to where you are today. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think uh, number one is your health. You know, I was fortunate that I was forced to make decisions because of my health. Whereas a lot of you are very well uh, healthy now and don't need to make those decisions as quick. But I think, you know, all I say to people is uh, I have a 22 minute nap in the middle of every day I go to the gym. I do the things now to protect my body the best I can because I know what it's like to, you know, I nearly passed away in 2018. So, you know, I, I know how important health is. So um, that's number one. Number two is is your family and friends. And I know that's obvious, but often when you run your own business, you know, it's really hard. You're making choices to, you know, you you you, you want to make as much money to support your family as much as possible. But also you've got to balance that with spending quality time with them. And I, and I didn't get the chance to do that when I was in corporate, but I think in small business, you've got a greater chance to do that. So I think tapping into some of the technology and offshoring that I spoke about then gives you more time to spend with the, your family and friends. I think that's uh, really important. And I think the the last one is, is just, you know, just be worldly. I think, you know, there's um, such an opportunity these days to either work globally travel, 
all of that, but just, you know, Australia's an awesome place. Every time I come back, I realize how good it is, but also, you know, you can tap into the world um, through media and other things now to make sure you're, you know, you're finding out what's happening around the world rather than just being, uh, being uh, a good Australian citizen. Fantastic. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. So many great insights and I really enjoyed learning about your journey and the work that you do. Oh, thanks for having me on, Dad. From Little Things is brought to you by Papera the all-in-one solution that makes business easy for Aussie sole traders, company directors, and small business owners. You can learn more and get started for free at papera.com. From Little Things is part of the Sonic Boom network of podcasts. To get your brand started on its own podcast, visit sonicboom.vc.